Well, we are uh, going to finish up our series on multiplication uh, versus division that I've been doing, kind of going through the book of Acts and talking about uh, different um, things, different accounts, different situations that were in the book of Acts. And if you've been here, obviously you've heard, if, you, if it's your first time today, we want to welcome you and thank you for being here and worship with us. And uh, uh, hopefully you got a bulletin when you came in, and in that bulletin's uh, some announcements, but there's also a little tear-off card, so if you are here for the first time, we'd love to know of your presence. Just fill that out on that card, let us know, give us an address or an um, email address so that we can just thank you for coming. And also on there's a, a spot to put down uh, prayers, and uh, if you have something you'd like us to pray for or something you'd like to praise God for, we'd like to praise God, pray for you, and just write that on that card, and then a little bit later in the service... Uh, there'll be a tray that comes around. You can drop that in there, and we'd love to, to know of your presence today. So glad that you're here. Well, it's, uh, I thought it was going to rain all weekend. Didn't y'all hear that? It's going to rain all weekend. I was really thankful because uh, uh, Thursday night, uh, my son Carter graduated from Northgate, and uh, we was kind of like iffy there for a while, um, but we, uh, we, we got through it. And so, so Friday, I mean, Thursday was an interesting day for me. I, ha- I had a funeral to do um, that afternoon, and um, I went, so I went to the funeral home, uh, had the service there, and then went to the graveside, had a graveside service, and then jumped in my truck and rushed home and went to the, uh, uh, the graduation. So it was, kind of a, it was kind of an interesting day. You know, uh, a lady, very sweet lady, member of our church, um, and had a great life, great family, but just kind of going from that to going to a celebration of all these young people and, and graduation, it was just kind of a, a reminder of how there's different seasons in our life. Now, a lot of, I know a lot of, uh, or at least some of y'all here today, have been through that thing when your kid graduates. This is our, Melanie and I's first uh, child to graduate, and that's kind of a, that's just an awkward feeling, you know? It's like, what happened? What do you mean you're 18 years old and you're graduating? That's, you know, so it was, it was, it was a neat thing, but uh, I, we got four more behind them, so get used to it, right? You know, <laughs> so it happens, but um, it, it, it was a neat day, and uh uh, so yeah, but we have seasons in our life, and uh, one of the questions I want to ask y'all this morning, and, and we've been, like I said, going through the book of Acts, and there's been a lot of different things, and what we've been trying to see is that even though there were things that happened in the book of Acts that seemingly were going to divide the church, that were going to cause controversy or cause division, it didn't happen. It was a possibility, but God through His Holy Spirit, God through working in the lives of people that had a good foundation uh, a good identity in who they were. They said, hey, we're not going to let this happen. And God worked things. Even when we thought, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem to be the way the church should be going. And we've seen, seen a lot of neat things that have happened through that. And so we, it's, it's apparent that God was multiplying the church even in the midst of some of these things. And, and we've talked through some. But the question I was going to ask you is that sometimes you ever wonder in life why God intercedes sometimes and other times He doesn't or intervenes. You ever wonder about that? Okay, absolutely. I mean, I do. And when I read through all the different pages of the Bible, I see that, you know what, people that, that are in this book like Abraham and, and Jonah and David and all the different characters all the way through to the, the New Testament and the disciples and Paul and all these people, they had those moments too. And it makes me feel better that our faith is constantly being kind of challenged, isn't it? It's kind of being shaken up, and God's doing things in our life, and we kind of ask, you know, why did you intervene there, but you didn't intervene here? I, I have a hard time understanding that sometimes. Um, 
I heard there was a, um, a graduation practice a few weeks ago that was uh, getting ready to happen, and a policeman saw a guy with a gun going towards the graduation practice, and he ran out there and challenged the guy. I think he ended up shooting him in the leg, but he stopped it before, I mean, this guy was maybe going to do a mass shooting again. And I go, wow, seems like God intervened there and stopped that. But then in Santa Fe, Texas, just a few days later, 10 people are killed, and I go, God, why didn't you intervene in that one? Why didn't somebody see that guy? Because my first question is, how did somebody get in a school with a rifle? I, just, I never can quite understand that. But obviously, people, they had two, I don't know, but you all probably asked those questions too, didn't you? God, why didn't you intervene on that one? How come some people made it out of the 9-11 towers and some people didn't? Why did some people make it home from wars and some people didn't? And so I'm always a little uncomfortable when people start talking about, well, God blessed my, and allowed him to make it there, let that person make it safer. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Because I know somebody else that's sitting on the, uh, right next to him says, well, my, my person didn't come home. My person wasn't saved through that. So I'm not trying to be a downer this morning, but I know we all think about that sometimes. Sometimes God intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. And so as we've been going through Acts, I was thinking about this. Is it pure chance? Did these things happen, or is God sovereign? And i got to tell you all, I believe that God is sovereign, you all. I don't understand all those things. i got my list of questions, and when I get to pull my chair up next to God, I want to ask Him about, why did this happen? Why didn't you intervene on this particular situation? Because I, I don't, to this day, do not understand, and probably, you know, till I die, I will not understand why some of these things happen. And I know you all have those as well. But in the book of Acts, as we've been looking at this multiplication uh, versus division. We looked at several accounts where, uh, in spite of the seeming division or divide that was going on, God has worked through this. And so I, I shared an earlier message, and I still wonder some of the things that happened even in Acts. So when, when we think about that, I say, why did God intervene so supernaturally and so specifically on the day of Pentecost? I mean, he intervened there. There was no doubt about that. All of a sudden, people that could not speak a foreign language are speaking a foreign language, and people are saying, how does that guy know my language? But he's telling me the gospel message. This is amazing. And it was obviously that God intervened and was in problem. Ananias and Sapphira, mm, they probably wish God didn't intervene so specifically in there. But God did. But there was something God was doing there. Um, why was it that God intervened when Peter and John were in prison and all of a sudden they were able to escape? It says the doors just came open, became unlocked. How did that happen? God intervened there. Um, what about Saul when he was on the road to Damascus? Why did God strike him down and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm the Lord Jesus Christ whom you're persecuting. What are you doing? I mean, God intervened in a powerful way. Now, a little bit later, we read about a guy named Eutychus. So any of y'all are getting sleepy, I'm talking to you right now, okay? Talks about this guy, and he would, uh, Paul was in, um, uh, in Ephesus, and it says he was preaching, and even Luke says he went on and on and on. And this kid was sitting in a window, and he fell asleep and fell out the window three stories, and said he was dead on arrival, I guess you say. And Paul was so upset, he went down there and, and, and laid his body on him and prayed, and, and, and God intervened and allowed Eutychus to live. I mean, so we know God can and has the power to do that. But obviously, some of the, when we try to find answers for those questions, people say, well, you have to have, God couldn't intervene on everything because then we wouldn't have free will. Is that not true? 
I mean, if we didn't have our free will, then obviously God would just say we would be robots and, and you know, he would just intervene every time. Like every time I tried to, you know, say something, because I don't say that, you know, God, I wish he would do that, right? You know, I don't say that, don't do that, don't do this, make this decision, that decision. Uh, I wish God would have intervened a lot on this whole building process. It probably would have been a lot shorter than it was. But hey, God made it last longer, I believe, for a reason. He was trying to teach us. And I think about why did the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years before they went into the promised land? Because God was preparing them for something bigger and greater. So I don't always understand that, but I see that. So today, I want us to look at, um, even in all those situations, the message of hope of Jesus Christ uh, was still being shared. Even though some of those things in Acts I didn't understand, and why did God intervene or not intervene? Um, and the things where I wish I kind of asked, why didn't you, was how about, how about Stephen? Stephen died. He was this amazing guy who was full of the Spirit, and he was preaching the Word of God, and, 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 and you, you, they stoned him. Why didn't you intervene there, God? I don't understand it. In, in Acts 12, chapter 12, James is killed. Oh, wait a minute, Peter and John made it. Why not James? I don't understand that, God. Why didn't you intervene in that situation? And maybe the times when Peter and John were beaten. What about when Paul was beaten and, and stoned almost to death, and he was snake bit and shipwrecked? Why didn't you intervene there? But God didn't. But even though he didn't, we still saw that his hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, that message that he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He goes, get that message out there. And that message certainly was getting out there. So I want to read a passage today. It might be an odd one to you, but I want you to, to listen to this passage. And this is a little bit further in Acts. And I know you said, this sure has been random, Craig. And I said, well, that's just the way I've been doing it. It's just random. But this is a passage from Acts 23. I think it's going to be on the screen, or you can look in your Bibles or, or personal device, whatever. But let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. So Paul was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Back in the day, you remember, he had this dramatic um, uh, account with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he says, I've chosen you to go and give my message um, to the Gentile people. Not Jewish people. You were, the Jew you were as Jewish as it could be. You know, he was raised in, in a Jewish tradition. He was raised, um, taught by a guy named Gamaliel, who was, was, you know, one of the top Pharisee teachers. And he had all this. He, was, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but God has called me to something different. So he hasn't been in Jerusalem, which is like the Mecca of where everything happens there in Judaism. And he's going back for the first time. And they hear he's coming, and they see him, and they want to kill him. You go, why do they want to kill him? Because he's proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles, and they don't like that. You've taken this exclusive religion, this tradition that we have, and you're telling it to everybody, and you're telling them they can be a part of this, and that's not what we want. They have to follow all these rules, and you're saying they don't have to follow these rules. You are a blasphemer, and we're going to get rid of you. And Paul's going, what in the world? And so it causes a riot when they see him, and the Romans have to come in. And y'all, you've got to kind of feel sorry for the Romans. They're the peacekeepers, and they hear there's a riot going on, and they all get the troops come running in. They go, oh, these Jews again. I don't understand their 600 and something laws, but somebody's mad about something again, and here we go. So they come in, and they're about to kill Paul, and they pull him out and go, what is going on? He goes, oh, he's a blasphemer, you know. And so they take him away, and they're about to say, well, we'll just beat him, and then they'll be happy. And he's about to be beaten, and he goes, uh, excuse me, um, 
is it right to beat a Roman citizen before he's even been on trial? And they go, oh, you're a Roman citizen? He goes, yes, I was born in Rome. I'm a Roman citizen. Goes, oh, so they back off in the low conservative. Well, let's get the Sanhedrin together and let's try to sort all this out. So he goes to the Sanhedrin and Paul thinks, because I was one of you, because I was a Pharisee at one time, because I was a legalist like you, because I used to keep all the letter of the law and I used to be just like you and wanted to kill people that didn't keep the letter of the law, I can tell you my, my story and it'll change you. It didn't change them. They listened to his story, but they did not like it when he says, I'm, sending the, I'm, I'm t- taking the good news to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles. When he said Gentiles, it all started again. You know, it started going. So he finally gets to talk before them, and he says this in chapter 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And then those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and other Pharisees, called out to the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and there is... Um, And there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul was going to be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away uh, by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So you may go, that's kind of a weird passage to pick, Craig. Well, I want to kind of walk through this a little bit. So you see he thinks that I've been one of you, and this, this experience I've had has transformed me, and I think it'll transform you. It did not transform them. They were still angry. They were still, they, they, no. We know it's tradition, and we are the elite people, and the Gentiles do not deserve to have that. this. What are you trying to do? That's not the way it's supposed to be. And Paul is just kind of shocked. And so even to the point where he goes, I have a good conscience. I've done everything. He's still been obeying the law, but he's also been a follower of Christ, and they don't like that. And so he, the, the, the high priest has him hit in the face, and obviously he reacts and says, you know, you uh, whitewashed wall. Now, this is similar to something that Jesus said when he was talking. In Matthew 23, he had some of his harshest words for the religious leaders of the day because he goes, y'all are keeping people from knowing God. You, all you talk about is religion, all these things, do better, do try harder, all this kind of stuff. And he's saying, no, have a relationship. And you're keeping people. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs, very similar to what Paul said, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so when Paul lashes out at him, when he has somebody hit him in the face, he's saying this very thing, which is interesting. It, it's, it's almost a, it is a prophecy because 10 years later, Ananias is on the run and is actually killed. This is actually a prophecy. He goes, you're going to get yours. 
because he was a very violent man. When we read the, the history of this particular high priest um, in some of the other doc, historical documents, they say this guy was a very violent man. This was not surprising that he did this. But Paul sees in this situation, okay, they're not listening to me. They don't want to hear about the Gentiles. And I just said I have a good conscience, and they hit me in the face. And I just called the high priest a whitewashed uh, wall, and now they're all mad at me. What do I do? He's very shrewd here. Remember Jesus said to be as wise as serpents, you know, and as harmless as doves? And he goes, the reason I'm on trial today is because I believe in the resurrection. And that's true. He did believe in the resurrection. But he was also a very smart man. He knew that the Pharisees and Sadducees were divided. Don't know this for sure, but I think he's going, i got to do something to take the focus off me. And when he said that, all of a sudden, all of a sudden this divide went right between the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they start arguing. Yes, that's right. And then the Pharisees says, that's right. We don't think there's anything wrong with what this guy's saying. Matter of fact, maybe the Spirit, maybe God told him, maybe an angel told him. And they're starting to defend him. And Paul's probably going, some of the pressure's off me now. But then they get in such a, a crazy going on here. Now the Sadducees want to kill him. And finally the Roman guards have to take him out and take him to the barracks. And that night he's kind of got to be sitting there laying in his bed or whatever in the barracks going, did I do the right thing? I thought I said what I should have said, Lord, but it caused a riot. And that probably happened to Paul a lot because whenever he went, he caused a riot in a lot of places that he told the truth about, which is very difficult. But he's sitting there, and it says, The Lord came to him and stood and says, Listen, you did do the right thing. Just as you gave your testimony to the people in Jerusalem, I'm going to send you to Rome. And this is something that Paul wanted to, to, his, uh, to, to the Romans as well. So he's going to get this opportunity. But Paul sees that he's in a situation that he can't really, you know, get out of, but this, this thing works and he's able to, to kind of get out. But take courage. You've done the right thing in testifying about me in Jerusalem, and you must also testify in Rome. So this gives him hope that I'm doing the right thing, what God's called him to. Now, this takes a lot of courage. I want you to listen to what G.K. Chesterton said about courage. Listen carefully to this quote. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. And let me read that again. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. And certainly Paul had courage because a lot of his friends, a lot of the other disciples said, do not go to Jerusalem, Paul. They know what you've been doing. They know you've been going all over the world evangelizing and welcoming Gentiles into the family of God. They don't like that. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. He goes, no, i got to go. And he says, matter of fact, I am willing to die for the sake of this gospel. So when I think about what G.K. Chesterton said, Almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Paul, I want to live. Remember what he said in one of his other letters? He goes, I want to stay here and keep preaching the gospel. But in another way, I want to be with the Lord. I want to just get out of this world because it's so sinful and crazy. But I want to stay in here and keep doing what God's called me to do. So he had that courage to keep doing it. So I want us to kind of go back a little bit and think about this intervening of God, to get, to get Paul to this point. Now the gospel's going to Rome. This is very significant. This is the world power at the time. And as we know through the rest of, of Acts, we're going to see that Paul's going to go to all these different places, all these different rulers, all these different judges. He's going to stand before them. He's going to tell his personal testimony. And everybody's going to hear the gospel message. And if all this had not taken place, it never would have been able to take this. And it starts, I go back to Stephen. God, why did you let Stephen die? 
Well, you remember there was a conflict that we talked about. These widows weren't getting the right food, and the Greeks and the Jews were arguing. They said, okay, we've got to do something about this. Well, let's name some guys that are good guys, both Greeks and Jews, and they'll be the first deacons, and they'll take care of the distribution of food. What was one of those guys' names? Stephen. And then Stephen became a deacon, and he started serving. And people go, this guy is filled with the Spirit. We ought to let him preach them. He starts preaching. And people are going, this guy is unbelievable. He went, and the Pharisees, Saul at the time, did not like what he was saying. And it said that when he spoke to them, they could not refute anything he was saying. Remember, they gnashed their teeth at him. And what did they end up doing to him? They killed him. Who was there at his death? Saul. And Saul heard him. Not, and not be able to refute him. As a Pharisee, that was a tough thing. That was a very prideful thing to not be able to refute this guy. And then it says that on the way, he's going to arrest other Christians, and he's got to be thinking the last thing that Stephen said as he's being stoned. Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they do. Who else said that? Jesus did. He's going, how is this guy? Why are these people willing to die? This is crazy. The whole way he's going, he's got to be thinking about this. And then God strikes him blind and says, the very thing that Stephen was preaching about, you're going to do. But you think about it. If it hadn't have been for that, Stephen set that example. He's the one that put that in Paul. And then Paul goes on to go on three missionary journeys. Paul goes on to write 13 different letters to 13 different churches in the New Testament. He meets a guy named Luke, takes him on these missionary journeys with him. Luke writes this whole account of Acts. He writes an account called Luke about Jesus' life. And I go back and I go, oh, God, you did know what you were doing. I still don't understand why Stephen couldn't stay alive, but now I understand that that was a catalyst for all this other stuff to go on. And so Paul learns about this as time goes on, and I think we do too. It came out of persecution. A preacher named George Wood talked about uh, one night um, they were having, when they still had Sunday night church, um, he said they had an altar call, and a lot of churches have that. And they asked people, if you have something you want to pray for, just come forward. So this lady comes forward, and she's, she's um, uh, crying, and he finally goes up to her and says, hey, how can I pray with you? And she says, I'm still struggling with the after effects uh, of my husband's infidelity. I began to expect my husband was having an affair with my best friend. And the four of us would go out and have dinner very often. And I was the only one of the four that was a believer. Even though I suspected that my friend was having an affair with my husband, I decided that no matter what, I would do my best to try to lead her to Jesus. Because I knew that was the reason she continued to do things like this. Because she really didn't understand the love of Christ. And so she said, I faithfully witnessed to her over and over again. Our marriage broke up. My husband's affair with her didn't pan out. And after it all blown up, my friend came to me and said, there's something about you. I've got to have whatever you have because I know, I know that you knew the whole time, didn't you? And she says, yeah, I did know. And she said, yeah, anyway, you witnessed to me over and over again. And she says, I want to come to faith in Christ. And she was able to lead her best friend to Christ, even after something like that. Now, that's a remarkable display of the advancement of the gospel through non-intervention. God didn't intervene and, and strike her husband down or strike this lady down in all this situation. It just went on. And you know how many times she must have prayed, say, God, please help my husband to come back. But through this terrible thing, God was able to intervene and allow this woman to come to Christ. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. And you say, well, so my, my uh, marriage had to be sacrificed for this woman to come to the Lord? I don't know. It's just hard to understand that sometimes. But Paul, through a lifetime of seeing God intervene and not intervene, began to understand that God was with him always anyway. In Romans 5, when he's writing to the Roman church, this is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified through 
faith, not works. He always stresses that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? What do you mean we glory in our sufferings, Paul? He goes, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. That didn't happen overnight for for Paul, y'all. And it doesn't happen overnight for us. Sometimes the things we're going through, we're like, God, can I just catch a break? Can I just catch a break? Some of y'all know what that's like. Whether it's sickness, something with your kids, something in your marriage, something at your work, you know, something in your house, whatever. Your car breaks down, you go, can I catch a break, God? And Paul is saying, after a little bit of time, he's looking in that rearview mirror and he's saying, our suffering produces something called perseverance. And we need that, don't we? And I need character. And if everything's easy and, and never, never bad happens, we don't learn about character and perseverance and ultimately hope. And Paul had to learn that in a very difficult way. And then in Philippians, another church that he started and he writes to later. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least uh, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Again, that didn't happen right after the road to Damascus, y'all. This happened through years and years of going on three different missionary journeys, and Paul's saying, hang in there. I've seen what it is to be In need, I've had plenty. I've been on both situations. And guess what? I see God in all of that. I can only do what I can do through Christ's strength in me. And he's realized that and he's sharing that. So sometimes we think we have to conform. And maybe we're like, Paul, I believe that night in the barracks he was going, did I I do the right thing by coming to Jerusalem? Should I maybe have not gone like my friend said? And that's when the Lord came up beside him and said, no, you did the right thing. Just as you testified in Jerusalem, I want you to testify in Rome. I want you to share these same things. It's the truth of the gospel. It transforms people. Yes, some people are going to reject that and say, that's a bunch of bull. They're not going to believe that. You're going to cause some more riots, but I want you to keep doing what I've called you to do because it is multiplying the church. For all those people who are saying no and don't believe it, there's so many more that are coming to Christ, and you're doing what I called you to do. So I thought about that. There's times that we think, I want to say something, but I'm afraid. I want to say something to that guy at work, to that lady at work, to that person at my school. I want to say something, but I'm afraid to say it because they're going to think I'm a Jesus freak or whatever, and they're going to think I'm a religious fanatic, whatever. And so I don't say anything. And later I wish I would have said something. So I want to encourage you that we think we can't say things at our work. We think that we can't say things at our school. We think that you can't do things like you used to. You remember when there used to be Billy Graham crusades on TV? You think a major network would allow that to happen anymore? No, it has to be on a Christian network. We can't have it because we will offend all these people and we'll lose all our sponsors. Well, something interesting happened. Um, a couple joined the church this morning in the first service. And I was talking to him this week. And he made me aware of something I really didn't think about. So you know when Billy Graham died, right? They had his funeral on national television. Do you not think that billions of people heard the gospel on a major network? They don't like Franklin Graham. 
They don't like what he stands for. They don't like his, all that. But he was sitting there telling the gospel message to billions and billions of people on a major network. I didn't know this because I didn't watch it. I know I'm a loser because I didn't watch the royal wedding. Okay? But I did not. Okay? I did not want to get up and watch that. Just did not care. I'm not saying those aren't awesome people, but I just didn't get up. But so many people said, you should have watched it, Craig, because the preacher was amazing. What he said to them as a couple about love, it was, it was gospel truth. It was amazing. I think his name, um, some of y'all know what his name was. I'm going to say uh, my, uh, Bishop Michael Curry. Okay, but they said it was amazing. My mom went on and on about other people. Did. It was amazing. And again, on a major network, they thought they were going to a wedding. They didn't know they were going to church. Billions of people were going to hear about Jesus and have a church service that day. But they did. And so God's going, why are you so upset about the net? Oh, everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. All oh, the TV is trash and all that. God's going, just be patient. I'll get the gospel out to millions of people through those same networks who don't want me to be a part. Intervene, not intervene. I don't think I will ever understand it. I've got my list, don't you? When I get to pull my chair up next to God, I've got a lot of things I want to ask him about. Why did that happen in my life? Why did that not happen in my life? Why did that person die? Why did that person stay alive for so long? I don't understand that. And God's going to be able to make all that. I don't even know if it's going to matter at that point. It'll all be clear then. But the gospel was preached to billions. I thought that was amazing. So God can and he does take every situation and he works for our good in all those situations. We just have to believe that and we have to trust that. And we've got to be able to come to the light what Paul says and say, Hey, you're trying to work perseverance in me. You're trying to develop character in me. You're trying to develop hope in me. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? And y'all, I know it's hard during the time. I know it is. But let me tell you something about the church. I have this wonderful and horrible thing that I have to do and be with people in some of the worst situations. But when I watch how people come out of them, I'm amazed. I walked into a situation last year that was probably the worst situation in my whole career. Somebody had just passed away. I was in the emergency room. I've never seen a family so despondent in my life. But let me tell you, the way that husband that lost his wife has lived his life in the last year has been an amazing example to me and a lot of you. I'm not going to say who it is. Some of you may just guess who I'm talking about. But I've been blown away he was not happy. He was devastated. It sh I, nobody was expecting that to happen, but he has trusted God even through that devastation that happened to him. And I look at him and I go, God, you're teaching me something through him and how he reacted to that very, very difficult situation. So I want you to, as we close today, I want you to think about this. I told you that we read that Paul... As he's laying in the barracks that night, Jesus comes and said, The Lord came to me and said, Take courage. Just as you've given your testimony to, um, to Jerusalem, I want you to go to Rome. Maybe God is saying to you today, Just as you gave your testimony, I don't know where that was. Just as you shared this with a friend the other day at work or at school or even with your own family member, maybe it was very difficult and kind of scary and awkward. I want you to realize if you will be faithful in doing that, I'm going to set you up for another opportunity. I'm going to give you another opportunity. If you'll be faithful for those opportunities I give you, I will promise that I will be with you in those, op those other opportunities. So be looking. Don't be scared. Take courage. Take courage that God will lead you. If he's speaking to you and saying, I need to say something here. Well, they'll be offended. Everybody got offended that Jesus talked to and Paul talked to. It didn't stop them, did it? 
So be looking for those opportunities. And you can say it in love. You can say it in a way, but you need to say it sometime. And God, just like he said to Paul, saying to you, I will give you the strength to get through that. Be aware of what I can do. I might intervene. I may not intervene, but I'm still in control. So this morning, we want to offer an invitation. And maybe you're kind of looking at all that, and you're going, what? God wants to intervene in your life. Matter of fact, he intervened in all our lives in a supernatural way. He died as a normal human being. When they hung him on the tree, he died. It didn't stop his death. God didn't intervene. They were, they were you know, the, the, the religious leaders were going, if you really are who you say you are, then God should intervene and take you off that cross. But did God take him off the cross? No. But three days later, what happened? God did intervene in a big way. And he intervened for you and for me and for all of humanity to give us hope of the resurrection. And I'm so thankful for that.